the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com, or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. There we are. We are on the air and ready to start our program tonight. Thank you for joining with us for The Bible Live broadcast this evening. We are going to take a look. By the way, um, without my faithful good friend and sidekick Jacob tonight. He's going to have a little bit of time off with the family and visiting. And so uh, he's, I'm flying solo tonight. I feel, I feel very weakened because Jacob adds so much with his perspectives of these things. It's particularly, and I I say this particularly about uh, the Hebrew scriptures and particularly about the book of Genesis, this uh, book. There are so many insights that, uh, that the Jewish people have. They have had these scriptures for centuries and centuries, and uh, they, have want, they have gone over them with fine-tooth comb. They have several opinions about every particular verse or passage there is, and uh, it's always very um, illuminating to get that perspective. I, um, I, I, I sometimes I, I kind of go back and forth about the value. I, I think the value is, is genuine, to get the Hebrew language, the Hebrew customs, the Hebrew uh, culture, the Hebrew uh, people, the history, what they've done. this It's all a part of these passages. And as we read them, uh, we meaning we Gentiles, as we read these books of the Bible, we're reading at a particular level. We're reading the story. We're reading the facts and the uh, the names and the and, and the events that that are presented there for us, 
But all of these things have a context. They have a context of, of a, a culture, of a society, of a language. And um, so it's, it's, it's important that we recognize that because it, that's part of the text. That's part of the story that we're reading. And so it is so exciting to have Jacob along every time. But he won't be with us this evening, and uh, we'll kind of bungle our way through here and, and uh, just take it as we do as good old Gentile believers. Uh, we read the story and we make things of it. Some of it, I, in some ways, I think that sometimes uh, kind of out of the out of the fray, out of all of the opinions and all the centuries of opinions and the, the different controversies uh, that the, the Jewish people have about these texts, sometimes we, I think we get it right. I think sometimes we, with our simplistic sort of shallow, straightforward understanding of the Bible and the scriptures, uh, we definitely can understand the essential element, the, the essential story of the Bible without all of that uh, cultural detail and so on. It's only enriched by that knowledge. Um, Rich is on the line waiting for us to take him. If, if uh, possible, we can get, bring him on up as well and talk a little bit about this. Um, John is here to take your phone calls. If you'd like to call in tonight and be a part of the program, and I hope you will, the phone number is 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. And I believe uh, Rich is on the phone. We'll get him in just a moment. I, I think I put him on hold, but I'm not sure, John. So you'll have to check out my handiwork there. Um I do want you to know this, in case you haven't caught on, we are um, back on the air Monday through Friday here at this great station. And if you tune in at 930, Monday through Fridays, uh, we are reading through the Bible again. Once more, we have the actual Bible readings, not just the quiz show on the weekend. And so we started uh, where we always start at this time of the year in the book of Genesis. Uh, this past week, we read the Genesis chapters 21 through 36. So we're in the book of Genesis, and I hope that you will join us. If you haven't discovered that we were back on the air again, uh, remember how wonderful it is. to As you go to bed at night, as you settle down to a night's rest, you can um, go to sleep letting the last words you hear be God's words. And uh, so we'll start, uh, we've already started this past week, and like I said, uh, 9.30 each evening on this great station, you can join with me, and we'll read our way, read through the entire Bible, a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures every weeknight, and the entire Bible every year. We start off reading Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, the first three books of the Bible, and then we uh, switch over and transition to the New Testament and pick up with the Gospel of Matthew, just in time for the for the uh, Christmas season. We're reading about the birth of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth in uh, Bethlehem. So we'll read Matthew, and then we'll come back and pick up Leviticus, Numbers, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, I'm sorry, Numbers and Deuteronomy, and then we'll go back and pick up the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. So that's the way we do it. We just kind of bounce back and forth from the old to new, but we cover and listen to every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible every year. I hope that you'll join us for the Bible Live weeknights at 930 
uh, now throughout this coming year. So um, let's see what we've got here. L- let me go quickly. I'm going to go ahead. If you don't mind, I'm going to go quickly to uh, line two here. I believe my buddy might be on the phone line. Is this my friend Jacob? It is, and I want to double double coat and double wish everybody to listen to the Bible readings because it really is worthwhile. Now, I don't know about that speaker they got on there, but the reader is really good. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Jacob. You're very, very kind. But I, I'm so glad to hear from you. Uh, I hope you're enjoying some days of rest. I don't want you know, I mean, you know, I want you to... Rest and relax, but I am sure glad you're on the line. Can you stay with us through the hour? Uh, I can stay with a few minutes, but, yeah, I wanted to call because I want to defend Jacob. I knew you would. I knew you would, and I also there are several other questions in here tonight that I wanted to. I was going to try to kind of give people your perspective of, but uh, I'll, I'll, now that I got you on the line, I'm going to. I want you to talk a little bit about uh, Hagar and Keturah as well. Um, ah, okay. There's, there's a number of things, but I knew uh, you want to stand up for your uh, your your buddy Jacob, uh, I, your namesake, I suppose. I, you. You have a little bit of an ulterior motive there, I suppose, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I confess. But I also, and the reason that I think that people should listen to your Bible reading is, quite frankly, I don't know of anybody that, and I'm not just saying because I'm talking to you, you do an excellent reading. It's the best on the radio. And I'm not just saying that. But I, and I will say that instead of hearing all these preachers and everybody talking about things, if people really didn't need to know what it says, so they can tell if the preacher if the preacher is correct or not. Exactly right. Yes. Yeah, I love good preaching, and I'm not bashing. And I know you're not either. We're not bashing uh, people who are carrying out their actual spiritual calling. Rabbis and preachers and pastors uh, teaching God's word is is so important, and we need and we need that insight and that perspective. It's not like the Bible cannot be understood without an interpreter. That's not the case at all. Uh, but it is helpful. I mean, they have a calling to help teach and, and clarify and, and, and challenge us with God's Word, and that's wonderful. But it's not a substitute for knowing what the Bible says for ourselves, to hear it and know it. Uh, so that we can really, in fact, hold them accountable for what they're teaching and saying. Because, as you know, Jacob, there's a lot of crazy ideas out there. I, I, I have to admit, particularly in America, for some reason, we are a birthplace of many cults and, and false teaching and, and so on. And we've got this uh, prosperity teaching and all these ideas. And there's just there's just so much of it that it behooves us. And it's so important that we know what the book says, uh, because that book is the it's the source of our culture, our society, our our founding fathers depended upon it. It's it, our society, our political system, our culture to a great degree is built upon biblical principles. Uh, in other words, great truths about our existence as human beings that are set out in the Bible. And we can talk about those uh, perhaps even this evening because we're looking at the book of Genesis, and that's where a lot of these great principles are laid down for the first time. There, It's the beginning. And so we see a lot of these principles uh, about 
uh, God, who God is, what God's purpose is, what God's purpose in creating human race was about, and so on. We see, and and some of the principles, some of the uh, characteristics of the human experience are laid. The mm-hmm. foundation for them are laid out here in the Book of Genesis, and. If you don't know those, you're gonna you're gonna be willing to kind of. I think this generation right now is in the process of questioning everything, which is fine. Every generation needs to do that, but they're throwing away. Uh, and and there's a lot of things that could be thrown away uh, in our culture and society. But not don't throw the baby with the bath bathwater. We need to keep those founding principles. Because they are true and they and they really make sense. Uh, that's they have contributed to the greatness of our nation, what we have become, even up to this point. But we are in the process, it seems, of abandoning them, abandoning them, and we need to be very, very careful. So that's why I'm so glad to have the Bible live, the readings themselves back on the air. As Jacob says, hearing from the Bible is far more important than hearing from any of us. Uh, teachers, preachers, and so even the best of the preachers and so on, uh, I think what would make them great preachers is they would clearly admit too, no, it's more important that you hear and know God's Word yourself, the Bible, than that you hear from me. Uh, I think any truthful and, and great preacher worth his salt will admit that right up front. It's more important that you hear God's Word and know God's Word for yourself than you hear my particular sermons about God's Word. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, anyway, Jacob, what can you talk to us about your namesake? What do you want to say about him? I know. Well, I, I know you want to defend him to some extent, for sure. Well, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to say, without putting forth a defense, which I would be happy to do, I would rather just look at the verses and discuss a couple things and let the jury make up their own mind. There you go. Let's so, let's do that. Uh, my, uh, okay, my we, first question. Should we take a ahead. phone call first? We've got a listener on the line. I would not have it any other way. Okay, let's do that. Let's go. Uh, now, make sure I don't hang up on. Am I on? We got him? Okay, you did that. <laughs> All right. Rich is on the line with us. How are you doing tonight, Rich? Good to hear from you. I'm doing good, Sophie. I'm glad Jacob is available. I have a real question that's been bugging me bad. Good. It's close to Christmas when Christ was born. When Mary and Joseph went left Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem through that desert, how many miles was that? And they did it at night, I think. Well, Bethlehem is actually, if I remember correctly, only about 12 miles from Jerusalem. Okay, that that satisfies me then. That's all I wanted to know. But at night in the desert, that's a long 12 that's a long 12 miles. I, I, I get it. I do. Now, let me see. They're from, uh, uh, Joseph evidently was from the uh, village of Nazareth, which was a, Nazareth was a really a kind of a little podunk town, if I understand correctly. Uh, it was not very, it was really very small, very poor. They were not, it was not prominent or anything like that. But that's where. Uh, so Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and then uh, they flee down to to uh, Egypt uh, under the persecution of Herod. Remember when he's killing the children, and then when they right. come back up from Egypt, they they go to uh, live in Nazareth. Which all of that, every detail of that, is actually predicted. 
uh, prophetic prophetically was to be the experience of the of the Messiah, which is well, is Mary from Nazareth too? No, Mary. I, be, I I don't know. Maybe Jacob will know that for sure. I don't. I think it is Joseph's hometown, but I'm not quite sure. Okay. Maybe Jacob could give us some insight there. Uh, no, I don't think she was. I think it says where she's from in the book of Luke, actually. Because uh, remember, she was uh, in the, uh, uh, she yeah. went to visit her her sister-in-law that was uh, who was already three months pregnant. That was Elizabeth, right? I believe that's correct. Uh, uh, the wife of uh, of Zechariah, the father of uh, John the Baptist. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so we, I'm not sure I've ever heard where Mary actually uh, called home. You know, her hometown. Well, twelve miles is a long way. That's all I can say. Especially when you're walking, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what she, she was on a donkey, I believe, but right. he was walking. Exactly. And it's cold for both of them. You bet. So, wow. That's, uh, that's, thank you, Sophie. It's a good detail yeah, to remember, Rich. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. Uh, well, there we go. Um, a little in, a little pre-Christmas uh, detail there. We're already beginning to look forward to the celebration of the birth of the Messiah. And uh, Rich has got it on his mind about what it took for this young couple. to. They went to Bethlehem because, well, Bethlehem had to be the city of their father's. So maybe Nazareth was not the city of Joseph. I don't know. Um, maybe both. Well, they're both from the lineage of David, so that would put Bethlehem would be their <coughs> the city of their of their of their parentage of their lineage at least. <coughs> anyway, that's <coughs> that's what we've gotten. If you want to add any more to that, Jacob, you may. But if not, let's talk about Jacob, uh, Abraham. Uh, has his son Isaac, and Isaac has these two boys, uh, Jacob and Esau, uh, and uh, <clears throat> they um, they have different experiences altogether. But Jacob is the one who comes out of the story uh, as the as the. Mm, He's the individual. He's the son of promise. In other words, uh, all through cha- Genesis chapters one through eleven, uh, God is talking. It, it, we see the the God dealing with the whole human race, uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and then uh, the fall of the man into sin, and then the, you make your way from that to the spreading, you know, the multiplying, the spreading of the of the nations and the people groups, uh, until uh, chapter six we see that the, the the whole human race has become perverse and sinful, and they don't spread out and multiply like God had told them to do, and they're walking in mocks in, in lockstep to judgment. Uh, and so the flood comes in, in chapter 7. Noah is there teaching and preaching to the people for 100 years before, as he builds the ark. Uh, and, so he, and then the, the, the judgment falls on the world. There is a uh, cataclysmic flood uh, destroying uh, the men and women. There were no children. They had ceased bearing children because of their sexual perversion and selfishness. Uh, so there were no children killed in the flood. But that, but uh, the adults who had heard and had been warned and told many times, uh, the judgment fell on the human race. Uh, now, uh, Noah and his wife, their, his three sons and their wives, they had married and they uh, he had children. And so they were on the Ark of the Covenant. They were they were saved from the flood, uh, preserved along with the animals that, that God had told them to take on board. 
And then you see them coming out of the flood and, and uh, starting again with that mandate to spread out and multiply around the earth again. But again, they don't do it. And so there's another judgment of a sorts. It's not a destruction, but we have the Tower of Babel coming about in chapter 11. And you see the confusion of the languages, which forces the human race, which now... Uh, it has the sin nature resident in the race, this inherent, irresistible, irrevocable tendency to selfishness and sin. And so the, the spreading out and multiplying into competing people groups is part of God's provision to mitigate the effects of the sin nature in the human race. So they won't walk in lockstep to judgment and death and destruction again, but they will have competing interest groups that, uh, that even though they're fallen and sinful and selfish, they will, they will serve as a mitigating or uh, uh, a check and a balance on the sin nature of any one group to lord over others. And so we see this wonderful provision that God gives there in that chapter. And then in chapter 12 in Genesis, we pick up with Abraham. God moves from talking about the big and the broad and the general from the human race. Now he's going to begin to carry out very specifically the steps for the redemptive plan of God. He's going to start the process of bring, keeping a witness alive of him, of the true and living God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people of God that he deals with in a special way. Uh, but not exclusively. There are other people from, other, from Egypt and other nations that also follow God. Uh, Jacob makes us aware of that uh, constantly, that it was, this was never about ethnicity. It's never about race, uh, that uh, this is a people group that God chooses sovereignly to, to work with and through them to carry out the redemptive plan ultimately to bring about the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah that was promised in Genesis chapter 3. Now, he's starting with Abraham, then Isaac, and Jacob, uh, and their lineage, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and so on. He's starting with them to carry out, again, to keep a witness alive about the true and living God, but also in and through and with this people to bring about the Messiah, the Redeemer. Uh, Jacob, I feel like I'm talking way too much, but I am laying the foundation there. But I, I do want you to, with that foundation given, can you go ahead now and tell, talk to us about Jacob? We have a tendency, I think, to be pretty hard on Jacob. Uh, you, have, you have a tendency to, you, you defend him pretty effectively that he at least was a man who valued the things of God he valued the covenant uh, relationship that his father you know the Abraham and Isaac of the faith of his fathers whereas Esau did not value it and that's the one thing that we see about Jacob that he valued the things of God uh, and but, but we watch him grow and grow uh, in his own walk with God uh, that's one of the I find Jacob fascinating because we get to watch him develop uh, and grow uh, into a true man of God in, in the, at the end of his life. But I'm talking too much. Talk to me, Jacob. Tell us what you wanted to remind us of about Jacob. Are you still there? <clears throat> I talked too much, and I think you gave up on me. Call back, Jacob, if you can. Give us a call. Are you still there? Um, oh, I'm. maybe I'm. Did I have him pot? Yeah, I do have him potted up. Oh, I know. Here's the problem, right? Here. I'm lost. You're here. You're here. I got you now. 
Okay, yeah. Actually, I've been talking for – I had a great conversation all by myself. <laughs> Don't you wish you could remember everything you said and say it again just the way you did? I do that sometimes myself. Well, well, well I, 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 I free. You I can go – tell us all you want to tell us about Jacob. Well, excellent. If I might start off by – uh, look at chapter is it 27, and I probably don't have my glasses up, so I'm, I'm struggling, but I think it's 2736. Isn't that where Esau, how does that read in your Bible? It says, um, Esau exclaimed, Won't, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? He tell, He asked his father. All right, but now look at what it's saying. Everybody wants to say Jacob means deceiver. It does not. And look at the bad guy. It's the bad guy, Esau, that I'm almost ashamed and embarrassed to say this, but everybody, and it occurs among Jews and many Christians, they always quote Jacob means deceiver. It does not. It's not even the same word. doesn't mean that. But the guy they're quoting is the bad guy. This is sort of like quoting Hitler. Well, can't the it's bad like, guy no, say something said, true every now and again? No. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> uh, but my point is, is he may or may not, but the four corners of the story does not say that. We know for sure in the four corners of the story, Esau is the bad guy. He's lying in there. Jacob didn't steal anything. And the word, and he says, his name is Jacob. Well, how could he possibly, if Jacob does not mean deceiver, trickster, Jacob comes from the Hebrew word heel, a cove, yeah, a cove. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, Jacob, that has nothing whatsoever to do with being a deceiver. It's the bad guy that's saying this. But so when we're quoting him, we should be aware that we're quoting the bad guy in the story. Okay. And so that would be, that's a very interesting thing. So now, if he deceived him, if, let's say, Jacob deceived uh, Esau, and his dad. If Jacob did do that, then certainly his mother, Rebecca, also deceived him. Would that be fair to say? Definitely. That's part of this. I think that's part of the background of this story that we have to remember is that uh, Rebecca is in on this. Rebecca knows okay. about this. Now, here, here's, here's what I want to get to. If Jacob is a deceiver, then his mother is a deceiver. And worst of all, God is a deceiver. Oh, because at the beginning of the Wait a minute, wait a minute. There's our music we've got to take out. But we, and let's leave it at that and come back and explain that last statement. Uh, you're, you're giving us some great background, but that's pretty. Uh, that's a pretty big thing to say that even God Himself is involved in the deception. That's, but, it's, okay, let's wait till we come back, and I'll explain. Yeah, that's the way it is. Let's give us a call, folks, if you'd like to. Two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. But don't go away. We'll be right back. 
Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait, and I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning processes? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. Sometimes following God means difficult conversations. Welcome to today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. It was written by Elisa Morgan and is titled, Hard Conversations. I once drove 50 miles to have a hard conversation with a remote staff person. I had received a report from another employee that suggested he was misrepresenting our company, and I was concerned for our reputation. I felt nudged to offer an opinion that might change his choices. In 1 Samuel 25, an unlikely person took great personal risk to confront a future king of Israel who was about to make a disastrous choice. Abigail was married to Nabal, whose character matched the meaning of his name, Fool. Nabal had refused to pay David and his troops the customary wage for protecting his livestock. Hearing that David planned a murderous revenge on her household, and knowing her foolish husband wouldn't listen to reason, Abigail prepared a peace offering, rode to meet David, and persuaded him to reconsider. How did Abigail accomplish this? After sending ahead donkeys loaded with food to satisfy David and his men and settle the debt, she spoke truth to David. She wisely reminded David of God's call on his life. If he resisted his desire for revenge, when God made him king, he wouldn't have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. You might also know someone dangerously close to a mistake that could harm others and compromise their own future effectiveness for God. Like Abigail, might God be calling you to a hard conversation? Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Get the inside scoop on events and contests on AM630 The Word by becoming part of the club. Details at the top of the page at am630theword.com. That's am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. The band Greta Van Fleet took the rock world by storm with two back-to-back EPs and has now released its full album, Anthem of the Peaceful Army. This quartet takes classic rock fans back in time with a sound that seems to practically channel Led Zeppelin. The 
album isn't always a chaste affair, most notably when it comes to a couple of nods toward wicked, seductive women. But it is relatively problem-free rock that many will appreciate. I'll give Anthem of a Peaceful Army a three and a half out of five for family friendliness. For a full review, be sure to visit PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. Are you who you always said you would be with a sick and You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, we are back. Thank you for joining us for The Bible Live broadcast. We are reminding you tonight on the quiz show here that the Bible readings uh, program, the Bible live reading program, is back on the air Monday through Friday, 9.30 on weeknights. You get a chance to end your day listening to a 15- to 20-minute reading from the Scriptures, the entire Bible every year. So anytime you start listening, uh, on the day that you start listening and joining with us every weeknight, uh, a year later you will have listened to the entire Bible from uh, maybe not from beginning to end, but from wherever you start listening all the way back around uh, to that spot again. So we hope you will join us. Uh, and uh, once again, all across South Texas, let's enjoy reading through the Bible together. Maybe it's something you can talk to people at work about or in the family about. Hey, you know what? We're reading through uh, Genesis this month. What do you think about this or that? And uh, let's let's read through the scriptures together as a city, as a region of this great state of Texas. I hope that you'll join us every week now. Well, Jacob is on the line with me, calling in from his uh, bunker somewhere deep in the heart of the desert, somewhere, I guess. Uh, He is calling in to be a part of the program, and he's wanting to take up and defend his namesake, Jacob in the book of Genesis. We are hard on Jacob. We tend to call him a, you know, a schemer, a trickster, and so on. And, and frankly, I'm not totally and absolutely convinced yet, Jacob, that he's, that he's the best thing since sliced bread. I think he had his problems. He had his fears. He had his difficulties. Uh, but the wonderful thing is that fundamentally is that he valued the things of God. Uh, the the uh, the birthright and the blessing were important to him because he believed in the the God of his grandfather Abraham and Isaac and and he wanted to follow them. Uh, that's what I like about the story of Jacob is that his entire life we get to see a transformation of his life as he comes to be more and more a serious follower of the true and living God, and uh, till finally becoming a, a really a great. Uh, godly grandfather, a great godly man and a wise man in the Lord. But he he does have his struggles, you will admit that much at least, right? Yes. Am I on? You are on. Okay. Yeah, because what I said, uh, the provocative statement I said was, 
if Jacob is a deceiver, then Rebecca certainly is a, an accomplice, a co-conspirator, a deceiver. And that means that God is a deceiver. And this is why the whole story presenting him as a deceiver, a trickster, whatever. First of all, the name Jacob, as I was saying, does not even come close. So if Esau is making some kind of a double entendre, some kind of a joke about, no wonder his name is Jacob, he's deceiving. Well, we know he didn't deceive him. He sold his birthright. He bought it. So, But there's something about the name Jacob. It doesn't come across in English. But there's a, there's another word in Hebrew that's fairly close that Jake that Esau is intentionally perverting to make it come out that way. That's why I said, no wonder his name is Jacob. Yes. But if Jacob is a deceiver, then Rebecca is, and ultimately God is. And the Jacob reason and the reason you're saying that is because uh, God told Rebecca that your the younger son is going to be lord over the the older son. Well, let's let's just take rather than he said she said let's take a look. Chapter twenty five. You got your uh, your sword elbow right. Right in my elbow. Right here it is. Chapter right, twenty five. Twenty five and let's see. Uh, I think it's twenty two. Is it? Or, yes, I think so. It says. Uh, uh, God told her, and then it says the children uh, agitated, and, he, and she said, why is this way? Okay, and now, God, let me read it to you. This is the account of the family of, es- uh, of Isaac, Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, the Aramean from Padam Aram. We've read about the, how he went back up north. Uh, remember the, uh, the uh, servant? Uh, Eliezer went back up north and found the bride for for Isaac. And uh, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. And the Lord answered his prayer. Rebekah became pregnant with twins, but the two children struggled with each, with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about this. What is happening to me, she said. And the Lord said, the sons in your womb will become two nations, from the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And when the Okay, time... now right there, uh-huh. right there you have God setting the thing in the works. Mm-hmm. So, what's and, happening and, is... And, that... and as you said, uh, uh, Rebecca knows about it. In fact, yes. I'm surprised she didn't even tell... It wouldn't surprise me if she had told Isaac, but I don't know. Isaac well, seems to have his favorite. Uh, his favorite seems to be Esau, but I don't know. Maybe Rebecca didn't tell him that. Let's take a look at one more verse before we uh, jump into this. Mm-hmm. There's something very interesting over in, uh, let's see, uh, I'm trying to flip here to real quick. Uh, let's see, uh, look in chapter 20. Uh, what is it, 27, uh-huh. and take a look at your verse, uh, is it 21? I haven't got my glasses, so the pencil is small. Okay, uh, Okay. what's happening is uh, 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 Jacob goes out and finds this wild game and, and, and eats this, prepares this, this porridge or this meal for, for his father, uh, uh, Jacob. Uh, Isaac, I mean, and uh, Isaac says, "How did you find the uh, the hunt 
how did you find the animals? No, 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 no. Maybe, maybe I'm misgiving you the wrong verse. There's something that's really interesting here. In verse that's, one. Uh, well, let's take a look. It says, uh, "Oh man." I was just le- reading a little ahead of it, but I'll I'll get to oh, the part you oh, want. I'm, I'm sorry. Sure. I'm sorry. Okay, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, how did you find it? the Lord put the Lord your God put it in my path? Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob. Come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you are really Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father, and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. Yeah, okay, that's way after what I want to talk about. Okay. Go back to, uh, let's see, verse... uh, About the porridge. About the... No, no. Uh, Man, look at verse 15 of 27. It says, Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She right. covered now, his arms freeze, and the smooth freeze, part of his right, leg. Freeze, freeze right there. Okay. Esau is married. He has two or three wives. Yes. Why is he keeping his clothes with his mother? Because these were very special clothes. If I remember correctly, these clothes belonged to somebody uh, in their past. Um, yeah, but why? Even though they did, if he's married, and assuming he's got a closet in one of his two or three homes with his two or three wives, okay. and by the way, his two or three wives are not Jewish. They're Hittites. They're pagans. They worship other gods. Right. Which is the explanation of why he can't keep his clothes, these special clothes, with the women he's married to in his own home. He has to keep with his mother, the only woman in his life that he can trust. Okay. So there's something going on, and you're right. These are special clothes, and you're supposed to ask, well, why is his clothes with his mother? Because he is demonstrating throughout this entire story his character, and that he's not trustworthy, He and he even knows that he can't trust his wife. He cannot be the moral leader of the tribes of the Jews. He can't be. He can't, he can't even trust his own wives who are... They don't believe in the God of Abraham, so they can't trust them. Now, I want to show you one thing. Now, you started talking, so she did something about his clothes. We know that God put this scenario up, but let's take a look. And I want to point out, if I may. Were those, that clothes, Jacob, those clothes were the skins that God prepared for Adam and Eve, aren't they? Uh, originally, that is the understanding, yes. Huh. Okay. And they were passed down. And they were always in the possession of the Jews. In fact, you'll find that uh, John the Baptist in the Christian scriptures in the New Testament, that he's wearing a mantle. And what he's wearing is the mantle, that's the understanding, that Elijah wore from back in the book in Samuel. Samuel. So so these these are elements. Let's assume fantasy-wise. Let's assume and enjoy the fantasy that these things may still exist, and they are in possession of some Jew somewhere. Okay. That's interesting, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, so they got possession. So we got. So this is going on. Now, here's something interesting. He goes to, I'll, I'll go back to the porridge of the lentils in a moment. But, uh, well, let's go ahead and visit that real quick. What that's telling us, that's a dish of mourning. So you got to say, well, wait a minute. Here's Jacob. He cares about his 
his mom and dad, and he's making a traditional Jewish dish of mourning. So somebody had to die. So you go backwards. These were lentils, right? That is correct. So you go backwards, and you say, well, who died? And you discover the person that died just before he's making this dinner for his parents is Abraham. His grandfather Abraham, yes. Yeah. And you know what? Jacob is demonstrating right from the beginning. I care about my mom and dad. I care about right and wrong. And here's Esau comes in. Ah, I'm a great hunter. I'm a great hunter. I'm famished. I couldn't kill a thing. Can I buy some beans? So he's a great hunter, but he can't kind of find anything to hunt and kill. So what he's doing is uh, he's actually not such a great hunter. But, but actually, that has double meaning because it also means about hunting men. But, so now let's go forward. So Jacob's doing that, and, and Esau doesn't care. He's going to eat the dish in mourning from his parents. He couldn't care less about his mom or dad or even the fact that Abraham had died. So let's go forward. I want to show you the difference, if I may, between we read this, but we don't catch it. We already know that he's got these clothes, and they can't keep them in his own home. But he goes before his dad. Uh, Jacob does. Now, Jacob has had the skin put on him, so uh, I want to focus on one thing. Soapy, in science, how many senses do they say human beings have? Five. Five. Thank you, Soapy. I'm going to show you that this story distinguishes between the spiritual and the physical. You're right. Jacob loved, I'm sorry. Isaac, Yitzhak, Isaac loved Esau. He loved Esau. Uh -huh. That's wonderful. Nothing wrong with a and man said, loving his son. That's right. And he says, I really want to have this great wild game. Well, we know it's not wild game. Rebecca made something he's eating all the time. Lamb. And he can't tell the difference. There's item number one. Number nice. one sense. Huh? Taste. Yeah, taste is gone. Now the next thing, he, he, he he's blind. He can't see. Sight, number two. Right. And he goes, he goes right down through this. And if you'll count, each one of the senses are defeated. And there's only five there. He thinks he, what hears, happens he, thinks he hears a voice and it sounds like, uh, well, he's actually right. He says it's, it's, it's Esau, but it sounds like Jacob. But... Yes, so what happens, though, is all five physical, physical senses betray him. But God is doing something spiritual. So the physical, if you stop and look at it, he's, uh, Jacob, uh, not Jacob, but uh, Isaac was so enthralled with the physical, that's all he could do. But his, the physical will sometimes mislead you. Mm -hmm. And there's a spiritual side. Now, the Christians all just love this. Yeah. But the spiritual idea takes you something, another sense beyond the physical five. And this is what the story is. God said to Rebecca, this is who's going to guide all the Jews. And this is where they, it's going to come from. And so that's been set in place. And then we have all physical five senses not working to pick the right guy. Mm -hmm. Isaac could not protect the right guy because he was so enthralled with his personal choice of sons that his physical senses misled him. 
when the spiritual is leading the right way all the time to Jacob. Jacob's holding up to him. Jacob is carrying out what God wanted him to do. But look at verse uh, 24. Uh he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. And he said, but are you really my son Esau? He asked. And Jacob says, yes, I am. Yes, that is probably the most uh, damning verse in the entire story, because that appears to be the one time when he lies. Uh So how can we possibly deal with that story? That part right there. Jacob means heel, and when he was born, going backwards, we know that somebody grabbed somebody else's heel, right? Yes. So, if um, Esau had not pushed his way out first, Jacob would have been first. But God, you might say, foresaw that and said, so the one that was supposed to be first, Jacob was pushed out of the way by Esau, but he grabbed his heel. So he will, in a sense, in a spiritual sense, he was the firstborn. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so what you've got in the story, see, people don't catch it, that the physical sometimes will mislead you. And here you have the story of all five human senses misleading Isaac. Mm-hmm. Isaac's a swell guy. But, by the way, did you ever notice? But everybody in the Bible has two names except Isaac. Everybody has two names? Yeah, sure. Abram, Abraham. Uh-huh. Sarah. Uh, Jacob, Israel. Yes, interesting. Isaac doesn't have to. Now, why doesn't he have to? I don't know. He wasn't... Um... I don't know. I like Isaac a lot. I, I, I admire him, but he doesn't seem to be one who is particularly, um, in other words, not a lot is made of him, I suppose, except that he was the one who, um, remember, God told Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac, and mm-hmm. Isaac yielded and submitted himself to that. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to remember everything I know about Isaac. He, he seemed to be a truly a spiritual, evidently spiritual young man, a follower uh, after the God and his father Abraham. Right. But it, and these names, in the Hebrew, the names are very, very important. Mm-hmm. Except Isaac doesn't have a different name. He only has one name. It means laughter. And, uh, it, it does. But the reason he only has one name is this. Uh-huh. He is the only one of the patriarchs that was born, lived, and died, and never left the geographic boundaries of Israel. Of Israel. Isn't that interesting? Yes, true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I so see that. that you know, well, Jacob comes along, and he has to deal with Esau. And he, and he does deal with him. And, and so, but all the physical five senses, because Isaac loved Esau, actually misled you. And I, I believe what the story is trying to tell us is sometimes our physical desires and our physical wants may not give us accurate readings. There's something beyond the physical is what it's trying to tell us. Uh-huh. And I thought I would think that would be a lovely tradition and a lovely thought to start teaching rather than quoting a bad guy, Esau, and <laughs> saying Jacob means deceiver. It, yeah. I got to tell you, I promise you, it's not even close to being the word deceiver. 
I don't think I ever bought wholeheartedly into the idea that Jacob was some kind of a, uh, you know, Machiavellian schemer and trickster and so on. I never, uh, what is very, very clear, in the, he valued the things of God. I mean, to Jacob, that birthright and that blessing were important because, particularly in his particular case, because of the covenant relationship that he knew about from his father Abraham, and I mean grandfather Abraham and then Isaac, there was a covenant relationship that for them to follow after the true and living God. And Jacob took that seriously. Now, even at the same time that I say that, I realize that Jacob had to have his own he had to have his own relationship with God. He, he didn't. He couldn't live off of Abraham's relationship or Isaac's. He and 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 Jacob does go through some years of learning from God. God deals with him and teaches him and guides him. And let, let me suggest the same thing that I just pointed out. That there's a is telling you, Jacob is the physical man. Israel is the spiritual man, but they're the same person. Uh-huh, right. So, and so the wife of Israel is Leah, but the wife of Jacob is Rebecca. Is Rachel. Uh, Rachel, yeah. That's so what we're being told, we're trying to be being taught in ancient literature that there's a difference between the spiritual and the physical. And so, and then what we then what happens is uh, when they meet up again. And uh, he finally comes back. Nobody kills anybody. And nobody ever thinks about this. Esau did make a deal. The beans, the lentils. He made a deal. So he did do that. And he sold them the birthright. There's no issue about that. But what's interesting, when Jacob left, we know that Jacob had no money when he got to Laban. So who kept all the riches and all the sheep and all the land? Who kept it? Why, the thief did this, stole it, and then took it. I mean, he sold it, and then he kept it. He's a thief. Everything about him, he can't eat. He's married pagan women. He cannot lead the tribes of Israel. He can't even keep his special clothes in the house where he lives in his own closets. There's nothing about this guy that seems to be redeemable. But when he comes back, or when Jacob comes back and he meets up with Esau again, uh, he says, well, let's come with me, and I'll walk with you. And Esau says, no, I mean, Esau says, I'll go with you. And Jacob says, no, no, you go ahead and we'll catch up. We'll meet again in the future. And indeed, they do meet again in the future. Do you know where? Yes. Uh, yes, I do. I try to remember this from the from the, uh, last year when we went through these passages. Um, was this... Uh, Herod and Jesus? Yes. Yes, remember this. That when they said, we'll meet again, when Jacob says, we'll meet again, they do, because in the ancient Eastern world, in the Jews and other people, your children are you. Uh-huh. That is you. So they do meet again. Herod is not Jewish. He's been appointed king of Jerusalem by the Romans. And... He he is a descendant of Esau. Jesus is a descendant of Jacob. They do meet again. <laughs> oh, I love a good story that comes back around. <laughs> it really is. I, I I agree wholeheartedly with everything you're saying there. I 
I do. Uh, I mean, some of it is is extra biblical. We don't quite know, and yet we. I do trust a great extent the 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 teaching and the experience of the of the Jewish people that, for example, that that skin, uh, uh, that the clothing that that, that uh, Esau had hidden. Well, you know, the tradition says that that was the. Uh, that were the, those were the skins that that God used to cover the sins of Adam and Eve in the garden, which is remarkable. I mean, there's no way to prove that. We don't know that for sure, but uh, the tradition or, is that uh, for many many yes, centuries. We, we absolutely are 100 percent right. We have to rely on the history and the tradition. That part's true, but though it's not is history and tradition, is the fact, the sentence of there. And this is one thing that goes on. Frankly, teaching Jewish children, like my grandson, who goes to a Jewish school, mm-hmm. um, you teach him, you say, you stop, and you say, wait a minute. This guy's got two or three wives. He's got nice homes. He must have his own closet, but he's keeping clothes with his mother. And you're supposed to stop, and you're, as a young student studying, you're supposed to stop and say, well, that's a good point. Why is that happening? <laughs> and then you start looking, and then you realize that he lied. He absolutely lied to his father, Isaac. And I want to point out something to you. Not only did he lie about the name Jacob, and people quote the bad guy. I've never understood quoting the bad guy. <laughs> but besides that, the, then afterwards, there's a second time where Isaac gives the blessing. And this time, knowingly, he gives the blessing to Jacob. Remember, you read that this week. Uh-huh, yes, uh-huh. So he gives it to her, and this time there's no deception. He knows exactly what all the ramifications are, and he comes back and says, Hey, that's right, you are the right guy. So something has taken place in Isaac's life. And we know that Rebecca knew this whole story through the whole time. Now, it doesn't tell us that she shared the story with uh-huh. Isaac. She or may not have, because we don't know. But uh, we are but, told very clearly that God communicated to her that the yell, the younger child would be the one of promise. In other words, that the promise would would continue through uh, the lineage of Jacob. Well, there's our music again. Our the second segment is sped by. Uh, we're going to come back, and uh, if Jacob can stay with us again, we'll continue. I want us to talk a little bit about. Uh, apart from this question now of the deceiver and aspect of Jacob, I want us to talk about the history of Jacob, how Jacob grew and progressed in his relationship with God when we come back. Listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, we are back for our final segment of the Bible Live quiz show this evening. I hope you will give us a call if you'd like to join in our discussion. We're talking about these patriarchs. Uh, Abraham, his son Isaac, 
Isaac uh, marries Rebecca. Remember the uh, servant Eliezer goes up north and finds a bride. Uh, this this uh, lovely young lady named Rebecca comes back and marries Isaac. Isaac, as Jacob has reminded us tonight, never leaves the promised land. He never leaves Canaan. Uh, he stays there, all, and the Eliezer goes and finds a bride. Uh, and we think of Eliezer here as a beautiful picture uh, in, the, in the broader redemptive plan of God. The Holy Spirit is seen as the one who is the agent of the new birth. He is the one who goes and seeks. He draws us to God. He shows us our need of a Savior, our need of God. And he, he, uh, we're, we understand that the, the church, uh, in the, uh, Christian understanding, is the church is the body, uh, the body of Christ, or the bride of Christ, and uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who has gone and brings us to our, brings us to the Savior, in that sense. And so uh, we have Eleazar here as a kind of a picture of the working of the Holy Spirit, going and finding a bride for the Son. Uh, of his master, uh, Isaac. Uh, a beautiful picture there for us. And, of course, it's a wonderful story how uh, this young girl, Rebecca, waters the camels, and she's humble, and she's uh, polite and everything, and, and uh, how that, that that brings her into prominence as the uh, mother, then, of Jacob and Esau, sons of Isaac. And now we're talking about Jacob and Esau, and, and Jacob, of course, as uh, as my friend and, and co-host Jacob has pointed out this evening that uh, he it was he was elected selected from beforehand. He, God it was God Himself who told Rebecca that the younger of the two boys would be the son of promise, would be the one who would carry forth the covenant relationship from Abraham and Isaac and now to Jacob. But now that we've got that established, Jacob, I, I'd like for us to talk a little bit about. Uh, what happens here? Jacob, because of this altercation with his brother Esau, uh, he is fearful. Plus, he's not married, and, and they don't want him to marry uh, the Hittite or the Canaanite women. And so they send him back up north for both of those reasons, for his own protection and to find a bride. They send him back up north to the to, uh, Padan Aram, back to Haran, where his... Uh, uh, back to, I guess it's his uncle. Um, you see now, if I remember correctly, Abraham, uh, Abraham's brother Nahor, was his family was up there, and that was Laban and you know Rebecca and so on, and so they send him back up north, and uh, Jacob goes and he he works for fourteen years. He wants to marry uh, Rachel. He's in love with Rachel, but then uh, he actually gets deceived. Uh, he himself, uh, even if Jacob may have, even if he did have a, a little bit of a deceptive nature, uh, that it pales in light of Laban. Laban was the real manipulator. Laban was a guy who who knew the value of a buck. He he saw that money when when Eliezer the servant came up and pulled out all those rings and diamonds and necklaces. Uh, Laban's uh, Eyes lit up, and he he got. Laban was a guy who loved money, and so he deceived uh, this family member, Jacob, 
he deceives him. Uh, he works for seven years so he can marry Rachel, but then he gives him Leah instead, uh, based on the fact that the older it's their tradition that the older sister must marry first. Well, then Jacob has to work another seven years to be able to win the hand of marriage of Rachel, the one he loved. Now, he ends up married to these two women, and he's also mar- he takes both of their servant girls as uh, as concubines as well, and has 12 sons through these four women. And one daughter, who, who will become prominent later, will <laughs> Dinah becomes uh, uh, a story of her own because uh, some things that happened to her and her. Bro- you know, you never want to mess around and defile and take advantage of a girl that has twelve brothers. Uh, that uh, the 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 young prince of Shechem should have known that when he uh, when he abused and violated her. Uh, those twelve brothers got their vengeance. That, that was that was a pretty dark story in the history there but anyway so you have jacob now coming back after these 14 he worked for 66 more years to gain money for himself to gain herds and wealth for himself and then he leaves after 20 years he leaves uh padanaram he leaves laban and he goes south we have that story of rebecca uh, not rebecca i'm sorry rachel uh taking the idols from her from Laban's home uh, which maybe you would like to speak to that when they when they finally do after 20 years they they leave and Rachel takes the idols from her from Laban's home and uh, tell us a little bit about those idols and why why would Rachel take idols well, that idol, it's a, it's a household god they are politely calling it in uh, the English translation. What the so-called uh, household idol is, is the head of her firstborn male brother. And what her they used to do... male, did you say brother? I did, yes, I did. Oh. So, so they killed... Laban killed his own, his firstborn male child, and they would coat it in tar or uh, bitumen or asphalt, I guess, but it's like a tar. They'd write the name of their god on a piece of paper, parchment, and stick it into the baby's mouth, coat the baby's head with the tar so it would be preserved. And then their theory was... I know this is a, I know this is so strange, but the theory was that they could uh, they would be since the baby had just come from quote unquote the other side, they'd be able to talk to the baby and get prophecy about what was going on because it's the closest thing from just the other side, and so she took her the head of her baby brother, and there's a, real, a lot of symbols in there because when. Uh, Laban comes chasing him, and she's setting on it, and she makes up the story that she's, you know, in the way of women in her monthly uh, period. Mm -hmm. And and so there's blood involved here. And what she's really doing is she buries. She ends up burying the head of her brother because it was a, a very strange pagan religion. But that's actually, and that religion continued on well past Jesus' time. So it was not her buying into that religion, but it was her 
rejecting that religion and, and showing a proper respect and bearing of the body of her older brother. Is that the idea that, that it wasn't her wanting that idol so she could worship it, but it was her trying to remove it from her oh, father's yeah, home? Yeah. She, she, she was not taking it for her worship purposes, no. And you and that, this story, listen, you'll find, and I'll give you the name of the thing. It's called a teraphim. Teraphim, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you will find it talked about in different, like, in, I believe it's, uh, uh, I think it's Hosea. It says, the teraphims are worshipped and they tell lies to the mm-hmm. people who believe that they're talking to the other. Uh, well, That's part of the reason for uh, the beheading of John the Baptist was tied up into that at, at some level. Uh, they would well, take yeah. the head of, of, of this prophet and so on, and they would put it on a platter or a silver presentation. And they it wasn't that part uh, wasn't yeah. that part of the the beheading of John the Baptist. Part of the reason for that was uh, yeah. this yes. idol. As a matter of fact, one of the ways they do it is. Uh, they also put it on a gold or silver platter. And remember, when, uh, as you're saying in the Gospels and in the Christian scriptures, uh, John, they put John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. Yes. Well, you say to yourself, well, if, he's, if they can have up to half of the kingdom, that's what Herod promised, why would they choose that? Because they thought they were going to be able, since he was a holy man, similar to like a baby from the other side, they'd be able to communicate and have information from the other side. And so that's why they chose that. Now we see the story earlier with when David is married to, uh, oh gosh, what was the one first wife he had, David's first Abigail. wife? Uh, Abigail. Abigail. Yes. Now remember the incident there? She covered for David and said, oh, David has, uh, he's sick, he can't come, you know, he's high, he's sick in bed. Right. And the soldiers came and they, they saw his head. Well, the head. They stuck the head of a teraphim in there that looked like it was a human head. But they pulled the covers back and realized it was only a head. Well, that, too, was a teraphim, which shows us that this idea of somehow wanting to talk to the side to this strange pagan religion had just carried on through certain sectors. And I should, I should point out, Esau, his kingdom become, you know what it is, right? Edomites, the, the Edom. Edom. I want to point, yes, I want to point out something. Which means there is a red Edom. But look at the letters, and then look at the letters for Rome. Notice anything unusual when you compare those two letters? Uh, Edom and Rome. <laughs> now you told me this before, but I've never quite gotten it. So go for it. Well, there's an O, there's an M, there's an E. You know, we got the letters; they're mixed up differently. Uh huh. But there is a, not that the people themselves, but maybe, but actually, they did have certain religious characteristics that carried on similar between Rome and the Edom. So they're actually from the same group. Now, this even gets more fascinating, is that when they actually, uh, people don't know this. They know the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. The Romans did not work alone. They had one group of people that also supplied soldiers to work with the Romans. And I guess you can figure out who that is at this point, can't you? The, the Edomites, the nation of Edom. Exactly. Yeah. 
So Edom and Rome are is who killed all the Jews. They killed the the, the blood was so thick that it was up to the horses' reins. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the general Edgar wrote a letter back to, to uh, uh, the the uh, Caesar and said, "Listen, it was not a sympathy. They had already killed over a million people in the streets of Jerusalem, and they uh, that that meant." And they said, "Listen, can I stop killing people?" And he actually said in the letter, uh, it's, it wasn't sympathy. He was saying, my soldiers are so exhausted they can't raise their arms anymore. And so Caesar said, okay, but you must pass a law that all the any Jews left in Israel must leave Israel. And that's why you find Jews around the world. Right. What is called and the, was, the dispersion, the diaspora, I believe. The diaspora, exactly so. And what's fascinating about that is, is that that caused, of course, the, the Bible to be spread around the world. Yeah, exactly. The knowledge of, of God, they, wherever they went, they would, uh, that gave rise to the development of this little thing called the, uh, the synagogue. Now that the temple was gone, uh, wherever there were 10 or more uh, Hebrew males, 12 years or over, I guess 13 or over, they had to form a synagogue <clears throat> where they could preserve their culture and the knowledge of the scriptures and the knowledge of the true and living God. And uh, it was in that uh, context that when Jesus was born, uh, when Paul went to the Ephesus or he went to uh, uh, Thyatira or these different cities, he would check in to one or two places, the, the local jail or the synagogue. And it was like there were these little potted plants sitting there ready to receive the seed of the gospel. So that when he went, there was somebody who knew about the, there's somebody who knew about the, um, I think. A, Hello? Oh, there you go. My, my thing came out. There we go. Uh, there was someone who knew about the, uh, uh, the what am I trying to say uh, about God and about the Messiah and about the redemptive plan of God and, and so all of the everything we're talking about is a kind of a reminder to me to mention this that even as we get into the details of the stories of these individuals the big picture is that God is divide, God is guiding a process in, in working out his redemptive plan through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob, they go down in uh, Joseph, we're going to see, they, uh, t they go down into Egypt, jo Joseph uh, providentially is sent ahead of them, and he preserves them as a people, they are preserved, they, they, they survived the famine that took out a lot of people from the world of that time by going down into Egypt, but then they were there for f over 400 years, and then, and then God brings them out with Moses. So all of this is a part of this bigger picture, this bigger story of God, uh, God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. But at the same time, we see Jacob here uh, take his own adventure. He, when he leaves, when he leaves uh, uh, Rebecca and Isaac, he, he goes and he has this vision of this ladder with the angels going to heaven and coming back down, and and he 
uh, he, he talks to God, this God that he believes in, but he's he just he's kind of just beginning to know God, and he tells him, "You if you'll if you'll take care of me and protect me and keep me alive and and you know help me make a living and and, and uh, have enough food on the table and all that," he said, I'll, "I'll and you you keep me alive I'll, I'll, and return me to my my people. I'll then I'll worship you." So he he kind of makes a deal with God. God reveals to him that you're. You know, this is that covenant relationship I had with Abraham, now and your your father Isaac, and now I'm passing it on to you. And so um, Jacob Jacob responds to it, but in a little bit of a self-serving way. You know, he said, well, "If you'll take care of me and preserve me, then I'll then I'll follow you. I'll serve you." Then he goes up north, and he gets taken advantage of by Laban. He gets victimized, uh, and uh, well, let's say this. Let me suggest this, uh-huh. that if we establish the theme that the physical can be different than the spiritual, uh-huh. then we follow that theme, then you'll start realizing that Leah and Rachel, this that deception of Laban could not have been pulled off, but with the cooperation of Leah and Rachel. Okay. So uh, it doesn't so the, say that exactly in the scriptures, but I guess it's natural to think that what happened, in case our listeners don't know, he he works for seven years thinking he's going to get to marry Rachel. But on his wedding night, Laban brings in to him Leah. How he mistakes all night long, how he mistakes Leah for Rachel, I don't know. Maybe they're sisters. Maybe they're similar body types or something. I don't know how the, the – how the, well, yeah, Now, this is not biblical. That's what they call a midrash in, in the Jewish world. But this is kind of. What uh, that is understood that there was a cooperation between yeah. the sisters. It does seem it does seem kind of natural that it, that they they probably couldn't have pulled that off without a little bit of collaboration between them. And uh, if that's seem, the case, if that's the case, then uh, then Leah would have known the right things to say and speak to Jacob. You see, right? I, I see. So, but here's the other thing. If uh, there's two points I want to point out. Uh, you still have your Bible handy there? I do. I have it right in front of me. Look at that. And in chapter 28, we, we see the last little sinister thing about Esau. Chapter 28, look at verse, uh, oh gosh, what is it? Uh, uh, 7 and 8. Look at that. Look what it says. It says, He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone to Padan Aran. It was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women, so he visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters, in addition to uh, wives he already had. Yes, so Esau already has a couple, three wives, and they're pagans, Canaanites, worship other gods, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Can't even keep the clothes in his own home. But he says, you know, boy, my parents, uh, they're giving all the blessings to the Jacob because he's doing the right so I'm going to go get me a Jewish wife, and I'll do it, and I'll impress him. Now he's the one that's pulling all the all the tricks and all the hokum. He's even going out and trying to get another wife to trick his dad and everybody to give him back the blessings. Uh-huh. But but before the show's over, you mentioned something earlier, and I want to. Sh- do you still happen to, again have your Bible handy? I do. Look at chapter 26 of Genesis, verse five. And what what does that say? It says, 
Um, give me a second. Uh, I will cause your I, I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give them all these lands, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, my commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Okay, now I know we've talked about this before, but what's wrong with that verse? I don't know. <laughs> well, oh, about something... the stars of the sky and the... No, 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 no. Look at what it says. The version you're reading is a little more English fluid, I guess. Uh-huh. Look at it says, he said, he followed my commandments, my rules, my regulations. And yet we're told that they didn't get those until Mount Sinai and Book of Exodus. Oh, I see. <laughs> I, I see. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's very clear that Abraham had them. He obeyed so, God's requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. Yeah. Yeah. So Abraham knew what they were. Now, somehow, he knows. So we have it here in Genesis that Abraham knew. And yet, we're, when we read stuff, we think, oh, well, they got the commandments in Exodus. That's really not true. The Jews had been slaves so long in Egypt. By the, word, by the way, the word Egypt in Hebrew actually means limitations or Boundaries, boundaries of the what? Boundaries of sin. So they came out, and they had kind of lost track, kind of forgotten things. The Mount Sinai is a reissuing to them of what Abraham had. I see. And here's something even more interesting to me, anyway. And if it is to me, it should be to everybody. Of course. Um, but uh, so, <laughs> uh, if they had all this, when did Moses? Start writing the book of Genesis. Well, I, I suppose it's it's often thought that he wrote it during the forty year period in the wilderness, but or maybe uh-huh. Yes, but what's happening is is that, see people don't catch us that we read the Bible and start to go, you know, Genesis, Exodus. But the truth is, God, if we're going to go back and we'll get to Exodus, we'll find that God is telling Moses the story. So Moses did not get the complete story of Genesis until God was telling him at Mount Sinai. And then he could write the entire story and the history down. I see. So it's fascinating that, yeah, it's the first book. But the truth is, he got it in Exodus. Right, yes. Uh, I, I see, I see, I get it. Uh but it is very clear there. He said, I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. Uh, I mean, that doesn't clearly exactly say he's referring to the Ten Commandments, uh, but um, there is a reference to his decrees, his commands, his instructions. And uh, I, 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 it's... It seems to me reasonable to believe that, yeah, Abraham knew God had revealed in some way to him his commands, what he expected for, for uh, how he expected Abraham to live, the people of God to live. Um, that makes sense to me. I, I don't, I, I, I guess I don't make too much of it. Uh, I still think that it was a dramatic moment on Sinai when Moses reminded the people you know, they had been away from God, they'd been 400 years in Egypt, and, and he reminds them of their, who their God is, who, what his commands and his, his expectations, his instructions are, 
and he reminds them that, of the covenant relationship that they as a people uh, have had because of their Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers. He reminds them of their heritage, their legacy of faith and trust in the true and living God. Well, and so, yeah, it, it, it falls together for me. I, it makes sense to me. It surely does. Yeah, and uh, do we have a minute left or are we out of time? Not much time. That's our music. It's just enough time uh, to you tell people what you want them to do. Ah, uh, always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. <laughs> Thank you, Jacob, for calling in tonight and staying with me. It's always a rich, enriching to have you alongside. Folks, we'll see you. Listen to the Bible Live this week. We'll the see Bible you next Live weekend. Is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.